Uh, I want to talk to you guys tonight about developing and stepping into your spiritual authority. As you can tell, obviously I'm super just emotional about our friends that are enduring cancer. And it's important to know that there are so many people right now facing challenges, facing pain. We have cultural divisions. We have people are trapped in confusion. We have people who are stuck. And we are surrounded by people who need a breakthrough. And as people of God, it is our responsibility to bring hope, to bring light, to bring healing to every single situation around us. But so many believers are timid. They're afraid. They're insecure. And it's so easy to reduce what our faith means down to where do I go one day a week and what habits do I avoid? It's easier for us to stay quiet and be safe rather than to be bold and take the risk of being embarrassed. You see, God didn't place his spirit in you and give you authority so you would live a safe, isolated life. God didn't give you the power of the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead to dwell in you so you could pray a better prayer over your food. And thank you, Jesus, for Chick-fil-A. Amen. He gave you his spirit. He gave you his authority so that he could partner with you for the redemption of all things. That's the entire reason he chose to make you a vessel. So we start with the premise that God doesn't want to do something for you. God wants to do something through you. And secondly, that God, we agree in this body that God has made available a lot more than what we're experiencing. So with those two premises that God wants to work through us, not to do something for us, and that there is an immeasurable amount that is available that we are not experiencing, we ask the two questions, Lord, how do we access greater levels of authority? And Lord, how do we develop ourselves to be ready to partner with you in the redemption of all things? And that's what I want to take you guys through tonight. But here's a warning. This is a very unpopular message by various people. It's uncommon. There are pastors, there are denominations, there are individuals who would take great umbrage with what you're about to hear. And the reason is that, I'll tell you their criticism, just so you know, is that they're going to criticize this message, this topic, and say, you are elevating yourself to equality with God. They will say that you are elevating yourself to God's position, overstating your power. People say you're overstating your responsibility and minimizing God's power, his authority, and his sovereignty. And people will say, hey, this message doesn't allow you to trust God to be God. But what I've observed is that trusting God has become what you usually say when you refuse to do something. This is going to be a fun night. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Not for all, but for some that say, I'm just trusting God is usually code word for I'm not going to do anything about it. Have you done anything about it? Nope, I'm trusting God. Have you called them? Nope, I'm trusting God. Have you put on that parachute yet? No, I'm trusting God. These are the things that we say when we basically are giving ourselves in action. But when Peter went up to the temple and saw a lame man begging. 
Peter didn't say, I'm trusting God for your breakthrough. No, he said, I have neither gold nor silver, but what I have to you, stand and be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Trusting God is proven by how you step out, not by how you step back. Trust in God should embolden your behavior. When we say, I'm trusting in God, it actually should, I believe, it it should affirm what we're doing, not what we are not doing. That trust in God is proven by how you step out, not how you step back. And so a lot of Christians like to persuade themselves and convince themselves that God doesn't need to use any people in the accomplishment of his plan. People go to great lengths to customize their theology to say, God excludes us from involvement. And this is proven by how many Christians have a very low view of themselves. People somehow have convinced themselves that they need to make themselves lower in order to elevate God. That the best way they know how to lift God high and raise him up is to make themselves low. And we say this like we're just blades of grass. We're just a, a mist that's here and it's gone. We wilt. We are, we're just, we're nothing. We are a wretch. You know, we, we use this language. And here's what I want to tell you is that that is not worship. That is called self-hatred. And self-hatred does not bring God any glory. You will never be able to bring God glory by the cutting down of yourself. Cutting yourself down is not how you lift up God. It is counter to the father's heart. No father wants to hear their child talk bad about themselves. Don't speak words in worship that put down the bride of Christ. If your attempts to praise God include, if your attempts to praise God include words and thoughts that reduce your value and your worth, you are worshiping God wrong. The blood of Jesus was not cheap. And when we talk down about ourselves and we say we're worthless, we're nothing, you are saying that God made a lousy investment by sacrificing himself on the cross for us. So it's really comfortable for us Christians to just naturally go, well, God, you're great, and by nature, you being great, I get to cut myself down. And these are the habits, the beliefs that rob Christians of authority. We want to have a life that has power, that has authority behind it. And so these are the things that rob our faith of authority. Because we as Christians, when we do this, what we do is we rewrite rewrite ourselves out of God's plan for for redeeming all things. Let me try that again. When we believe these things, we rewrite ourselves out of God's plan for the redemption of all things. And we make ourselves worthless. And when you make yourself worthless, you don't believe you're worthy to be used by God. Does that make sense? So realize that the first step in stepping into your kingdom authority is this, is to realize that you were made for this. Every pain, every hopeless situation, every wound, every area of confusion, you are made for this. Every cell, every molecule, every strand, every gene in your body is designed to be a light emanating, darkness binding, kingdom bringing force. That is who you are. And you will not possess any spiritual authority for as long as you believe that you are undeserving of it. Why would God give you authority when you think, I don't deserve it anyways? How do we make ourselves 
believe we're undeserving by partnering with that self-hatred in our thoughts and our beliefs. Because when you obsess over lowering yourself as a way to glorify God, you subconsciously disqualify yourself from what God wants to do through you. Why? Because we think, why would God want to use a sinful wretch like me? I'm just a mist. Why would God want to partner with a mist or a failing blade of grass? He probably wouldn't, right? (laughs) And when you believe you are worthless, you also believe you're not worthy to be used by God. We have a paradigm issue with us. And so being worthy has nothing to do with your merit, your ability, your capacity, none of that. Being worthy has everything to do about identifying with your new nature. Not by flesh, not by ability, not by charisma, nothing. Everything that is worthy about you is how you have been transformed in Christ. Because having authority and living a powerful life is merely just agreeing with the transformation that God brought in you in Christ. So I'm not asking you to think highly of yourselves. I'm just asking you to agree with the reality of what God really did in you, what happened. Because we focus on salvation. We focus on that we got saved, we're forgiven, after we die, we go to heaven. That's the entire narrative that we really focus on in faith. But, and that would have been enough, right? It would have been enough for us not to receive the consequences to sin. It is enough to be forgiven, It is enough to be redeemed. All those things are great, but God didn't stop there. He transformed us. We miss that we've been fundamentally transformed. And if there's one passage of scripture you should memorize, it should be this one. So much theology is in this that I love. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away and behold, all things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. Some of those profound scripture and concepts and ideas are wrapped up into this passage. And do you see what happened? You became a new creation. Sure, you're forgiven. Sure, you have eternal glory, all those things. But you became a new creation. And we just kind of like gloss over it. Yeah, 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 whatever. And I, like, I, when, I can't even get my mind around this stuff. But did you see what the new creation is purpose for? Is to change the world. To reconcile all things back to him. And causing transformation is the very essence of your kingdom identity. You, in essence, were transformed so that you would be an agent for transformation. Yes, you're saved, we're grateful, we're forgiven, all that, but you cannot ignore the fact that you were changed, you're created new, so that you would be an agent for transformation. So the things that are not as they should be would become as what they ought to be when you get involved. And because of our transformation, We have a responsibility to respond to any place or situation that is not the way it ought to be. When the world is not as it's to be, the Christians should stand up because they're the ones who've been charged to bring the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. And so you bring hope. God is love, right? And love never fails. And hope 
Love always hopes. So God always loves and always hopes. That means any place that you find in the world that does not hope is under the influence of a lie. And you are the carriers of his presence. You're the the manifestation of his love. You are hope in a bottle. In any place that does not have hope, you are the carrier of hope to bring hope into that situation. And what's interesting is that we are so empowered to such a high degree that James says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Any Christian who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to them it is sin. That is how high you are empowered. We're not talking about good behavior. We're not talking about personal discipline. We're saying that you have been equipped to do good supernaturally, more than anybody else could. And the imagery I get would be a police officer who witnesses a crime and stands by and does nothing. That is a violation of their duty to stand by and not use the authority, the rules, the responsibilities, the oath that they took to bring justice. And it is a violation of your transformation to be in Christ and to live without authority. It doesn't even make sense. And James reiterates this. He says, faith by itself, without action, is dead. We don't get saved so we can go to heaven. We get saved so we can transform the world. Do you catch the language that Paul uses too? He says that we are ambassadors for Christ. The word ambassador, let me explain what that means. It means that someone who represents the one who sent them. Someone as an ambassador represents the person in authority as if that person was there. They speak for them. They are treated as if that exact person is there. They speak on behalf of the country, on the leader. They are actually considered to be standing in the position of the one who sent them. So you are ambassadors for Christ. So quite literally and truthfully, when you walk into the room, you are standing for Jesus in that position. And he also gave your, him your, he also gave you his spirit so that his spirit actually enters the room wherever you go. And we enter prayer meetings, and, we, and the first thing we say, God, would you come? And he's like, again? <laughs> he's like, I don't know how much closer I can get. I'm in you. I thought I wouldn't have to explain this anymore. And so we should start our prayers with, Jesus, thank you that you're here because you're in us. Now, Lord, let's go to work. That is a prayer meeting that starts in faith. And so the first step to actually stepping into your kingdom authority is actually taking authority over what you believe about you. The first step to taking authority, the first step of stepping into your authority is to take authority about what you believe about you. You see, we have power over what we believe, but what we believe has power over us. Look at all the biblical emphasis on what goes on in our minds. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, he is. Be transformed by the ruin of your mind. Take captive every thought. Your mind is the most important thing about you. What you believe about you, 
What you believe about God and what you believe about why you're here is the single most important thing about you. Your authority does not come from saying powerful words. Your authority comes from believing your words have power. There's nothing magical about the certain words we use. It has nothing to do about that. It has everything to say is like when I speak, it's as if God is speaking and breaking through me to bring his presence into the situation. And so knowing this, we can anticipate exactly how the enemy would try to come against us in developing our authority. He will come against what you believe about you. If our thoughts, if our minds are so strategic, if knowing that my authority rests on believing that I have authority, then the schemes of the enemy are actually really easy to understand. They're going to come against that thought. And therefore, the attack of the devil in this realm is not affliction, it's not tribulation. In this case, it comes in the form of self-doubt. The devil doesn't have to steal from you if he can convince you the lie that you're worthless. He's already stolen from you. And the devil will use self-doubt so that you disqualify yourself for very logical reasons. I can't tell you how many powerful people I know, people in this room actually, and I hear them talk logically about themselves, about why they don't do something or won't do something. And it's completely clear that the devil has completely infiltrated their thoughts to say, you know what, I'm just not, maybe it's not for me. And so it's very natural to believe that we're powerless, but it's supernatural to believe that you are powerful. We need to align with what God says about us, about our nature, and we need to align with our beliefs about what he says we're capable of because of him. And so fear, introspection, analysis, doubt, these are all mental weapons formed against you to distract you from what you are meant to do. And something else that he does, and I am the recipient of this, is the fear of self-promotion. That what the enemy wants to do is he wants to say, hey, when you really step out for God, you're really drawing attention to yourself, aren't you? The fear of self-promotion. And so Satan uses the fear of stealing God's credit, stealing God's glory, in order to suppress Christians from stepping into their God-given authority. He wants you to be so afraid that someone's going to come to you and say, like, Is your, you're preaching about you. You just want glory to you, huh? You're gifting. Oh, that's a great sermon. Did you give God the glory? I don't think you did. <laughs> now how do you feel? What do you say to that? I found there's really no response to someone who has an accusation against you for self-promotion, especially when it comes from a genuine place. And so for those who in this room might be worried about stealing God's glory, let me inform you. You can't steal God's glory. He gave it to you. How does that work? We're so worried about stealing God's glory, and Jesus says, I have glorified them. You can't steal something someone is giving to you, right? And when you're unified with Christ, it's impossible to do anything apart from him. When you believe you can actually steal his glory, you can operate outside of him, you actually have forgotten that God dwells in you. You can clap if you want. That was a good point. So be awesome in Jesus' name. God's not in competition with you. 
He is in you. It literally is impossible if you are in Christ to say, I can do something apart from him. It is just dumb. That's all I can say. Are you guys okay? All right. Stepping into authority, number two, is develop a vision for what you want with greater authority. If you want to step into greater depths of spiritual authority, you need to have a vision of what that even looks like. How can you go powerful places with God if you don't even know where you want to go? And here's a challenging question. Where do you want to go with God? As a father, look at my kids. It's it's amazing. Like, where do you want to go, kids? What do you want to do? And it is so powerful when they help say what they want to do. I want to go do this or that. Like, yeah, let's do that. And that is the exact father's heart towards you. He comes to you saying, what do you want to do, son? What do you want to do, daughter? And so it is on us to say, God, here is what I would love to have with you. So when people crave more spiritual authority, I actually believe that a lot of them are unsure of what that even looks like. And I've learned this in the past, that vague ambitions give vague results. Vague ambitions produce vague results. I want to get in shape this year. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) This year I'm going to be more disciplined. Cool, and what? I don't know. This year I'm going to be more intentional. Great, how so? I don't know. I'm just going to be more intentional. Vague ambitions produce vague results. A clear vision, however, gives clear instruction. And so it's upon us. God, how would you best help me make an impact? Do you have a clear vision of what you would do with greater authority? Does that mean that you'd want to reveal the hidden treasures of the scriptures like a Hannah Crenshaw? Does it mean that you want to lead people like an Ashley Malat? Does it mean that you want to have the authority for healing? Does it mean that you want to have a prophetic revelation like a Laura or a Tara? Does it mean that you want to call forth someone's identity like an Eric Waterbury? Or heal someone's brokenness in their heart and their soul like Shaddy? What is it that you want to do? You need to have that vision because you cannot develop something you cannot identify. You say, God, I want more. And he's like, cool, what? I don't know, I haven't thought that far about it. (laughs) Perhaps some of us have no spiritual authority because we've never been clear with God on the area we want to develop. And don't act like you don't have a gift either. Because God didn't make any creation that was ungifted. The Bible makes it very clear that every single person has a gift. 1 Peter 4 says, as each, everyone say each, as each has received a gift, employ it in the service of one another. Do you know what you carry? If not, you better find out. And sometimes you don't know what you carry until it comes out in a situation. If you avoid every single person who needs prayer, you may never know you actually have authority over sickness. If you avoid every Bible study, you may never know you actually have a gift for interpreting the scriptures. If you avoid every difficult situation, you might never know you have the gift of faith. So put yourself in difficult situations. If you don't have a vision for what you carry, it could be because you've never been uncomfortable in your faith. Any Enneagram fans here at all? Okay, a couple. I'm a seven, and I don't like the seven description because it's all about, like, having fun. But it really is, like, about avoiding pain. I was like, that's kind of less of an awesome (laughs) description there. So much of our Christian life is about, God, I want your best. And we say that. 
We want to go full throttle for Jesus. We want to go full. But in our hearts, we're actually afraid how painful God's best is going to be for us. What discomfort, what stretch am I going to have to experience in order to experience God's best? So put yourself in intentionally in difficult situations because I've learned is that giftings emerge from obedience. God doesn't give you giftings and then says, okay, go be obedient with the giftings. He says, trust me, be obedient, and then as you go, I'm going to equip you. And so many of us who have no idea about our giftings probably have never been obedient to walk without assurance of what's going to be next. He asks you to be obedient and then equips you with the gift because you can't use something you don't even know you have. So how do we find out how to use something we have as we go and explore it. We put ourselves in situations where it'll come out. But then there are those of us who have a vision for our authority, but we still remain inactive. There's people in this room. You already know your gifting. You already know your passion. You know the dent in the kingdom universe that you're meant for, and yet you're inactive. Why? I believe it's because we often disqualify our emerging gift because we are jealous of someone else's mature gift. Sometimes we disqualify our emerging gift because we are jealous of someone else's mature gift. I can't tell you how many times I've almost quit preaching because I heard a Bill Johnson, a Benny Liebscher, a Stephen Furtick, a John Piper, whoever it is. I'm like, man, it is so good. Everyone should just listen to this guy. And so we can disqualify ourselves because we are jealous of someone else's gifting, their anointing, their ability. And the thing that the Lord, as I wrote this down, is I, I don't know where this came. This is not from me. I don't, this wound up on my notes. But basically was that everyone that you admire has sucked before. <laughs> <laughs> that the titans of who we just love and admire. I mean, the, the musicians tonight, Eli, how do you do what you do, man? You know, Andrea and Fred, like, it is just like, I, I used to be musical, but I don't want to be musical anymore, you know? And so what we can do is, like, we forget the process that other people have gone through to develop who they are. I'm sure you've practiced a couple times, Eli. And so you will never, the point here is that you will never step into your own authority while being jealous of somebody else's authority. It robs you the ability to step into it because you've wasted so much of your energy and your imagination on comparison. Comparison is such a foolish waste of imagination. And it takes away your courage to be you when you compare. And so once you have a vision for what you want, then you... Prepare yourself ready right now. Once you have the vision for what you want to do with your spiritual authority, you need to ready and prepare yourself now. Don't wait for that one conference that says, hey, we're going to host 400,000 people. Would you like to speak? To like prepare your first message. Don't wait for your first opportunity in front of a ton of people to have a first prophetic word. Don't wait for all the circumstances that may never come in order to step out for the first time. 
You've heard the saying that to dress for the job you want, not the job that you have, right? Well, the same thing is true in the kingdom. You need to ready yourself for the spiritual authority that you want, not just the authority that you currently have. Because some of us get content with what we have, like, oh, this works. I'll just kind of sit here. And I'll keep doing this for a long period of time. And that's where you stop in your spiritual growth, is that you become content with where you're at, and you don't begin to live and prepare for what God really would love to stretch you in. But you see, we don't usually prepare unless we have to. You know, we don't, we don't discipline ourselves with maybe a goal unless we, like, fail. We don't usually practice moderation with alcohol unless we've had too much. We don't start getting in shape unless we're about to be in a bathing suit. We don't start dressing well until we've got a smoking hot date on the docket. We don't start taking care of our money until we need to save. This is just like normal human behavior, and we do this in the kingdom. We say, God, awesome. You want to develop this in me. I want to develop that in me, and then we don't do anything to be ready for it. How about prayer? Do you still pray to God when nothing is wrong and you don't want anything? Or is it just a coincidence that you only talk to him when something's wrong? If that hurt, it was supposed to. <laughs> I was convicted that all of my prayers became complaints. My most fervent, my most consistent prayers we're all in relationship to, I want this, I need this fixed, this is broken. And it robbed me of the joy of relationship that we have. Like, it's okay, like friends and people, you want to have connection for them where they are there in your hardest hard times. But you don't want a friendship that is always about crisis. Do you have a friend who only calls you when there's a crisis? It's exhausting. It's like, oh, they're calling. Oh, I wonder what's wrong now. Oh, cool, I can't wait for this. And it robs us of the joy that the Father has to delight in us in all periods of time. And so don't wait until you need authority to start developing it. Start disciplining yourself and preparing yourself now for the opportunities you want, not just the opportunities you have. And could it be that you actually have no spiritual authority now because you're not even prepared to use it even if you were given the opportunity? If that hurt, it probably was because it was supposed to. <laughs> Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is prepared for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. God's breakthrough, his victory, falls upon those who are ready. Almost every morning for about the past 11 years or so, I work on a mini-message. I open my Bible, I read, Whatever comes, I start crafting some thoughts and ideas and things in here. I've got 93 pages of messages and many thoughts and points. Probably a lot of heresy mixed in there, there too. And I prepare to answer questions that nobody is asking. So I'm ready so that when someone asks, I am ready. It's amazing how many opportunities follow my preparation. I in faith say, God, I want to be a great preacher and teacher of the word I would love to develop myself to be versed on it. God, I'm going to go and prepare something and wait for him to bring an opportunity. And that consistently happens. It's because the opportunities follow my readiness and my preparedness. Why is this important? It's because you will attract what you anticipate. You will attract what you anticipate. 
Your defining moments are not scheduled. Your defining moments are created by your readiness for the opportunity. You want an amazing God breakthrough? Then get yourself ready. Prepare now. Solve all the issues and the self-doubts and all things. Solve that now. Prepare yourself now so that when the right opportunity comes, you can step in and say, yes, Jesus, I'm ready. I've been waiting for this day. You see, most Christians are entirely unprepared for the spiritual authority they crave. And I believe that God looks at the prayers and the desires of his people and thinks, if I brought this to you, it actually would harm you. Because you're totally unprepared for what you're asking. You see, God is not interested in granting you spiritual authority for the moment if you are disinterested in having it for the long term. There's a reason that David slayed Goliath. It's because he killed a lion and a bear when no one was watching, so that when everyone was watching, he would defeat Goliath. We always think, oh, he was just a really good, you know, slingshotter. <laughs> no. He's like, I defeated a lion and a bear. What's the next promotion? You see, breakthrough occurs when faith is matched with readiness. What's so astounding about Jesus is not like, oh, how he went, or he spent 33 years, right? Do we just like overlook like that he spent 33 years and just like, oh, I'm just, okay, now I'm ready. <laughs> There's something profound in that, that he readied himself, he disciplined himself. And then throughout the scriptures, you don't see him like, all right, so um, the disciples, come on, we got to plan a revival meeting. Um, I think we probably should get some fish there ahead of time in case we lose. No, he just responded. When you look and read about Jesus, you see very like forethought and planning. And so much of it was just like, I'm ready for what comes to me. He was ready and the opportunities flowed to him. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Be prepared in season and out. Be prepared in season. Be prepared in season and in out. Don't wait for the moment to prepare. Prepare and anticipate the moment now. And if you are willing to do the work before there's an opportunity, so that when an opportunity arises, you can step into it boldly, trusting God. Because remember, trust is to reinforce your action. It is defined by how you step out, not how you step back. It's the awareness that I am made for this. Every single cell in my body is ready to bring light to the darkness, to help liberate people, to bring healing to hearts and souls. It's to say, I'm made for this. Say, I'm not in competition with God's glory. He's asked me into partnership with him. To even believe and even understand that God says, I welcome you into the redemption of all things. But the biggest challenge you're going to have is believing what I just said. I have so much more to say on this topic, but I'm going to save it for next time because I don't want to speed through these and miss what's in them. But let me give you a teaser of some of the remaining principles for those who just cannot wait. I'll talk about these next time is that we need to be mindful and aware and strategic to use the existing authority we already have. How do you get more authority? You steward the authority you, you already have. We need to learn how to speak to situations, not complain about situations. 
We need to not wait for permission, which I cannot wait to talk about that. And overcoming fear and disappointment. We are going to have unanswered prayers. And your ability to overcome that is going to define the level of your authority. So tonight, let me summarize that if you want to take your first steps in stepping into greater levels of authority, realize that you're made for this. Develop a vision for what greater authority looks like in your life and prepare yourself ready now. We're in this to see powerful people step into their true identities, to walk in power and authority. And we live in a time where the powerful Christian is actually an endangered species. So many people don't want to be the weird person. So many people don't want to pray and have it be unanswered. So many people don't want to step out and speak out and say, I'm ready, I want to do this, and not be laughed at. We need to spend more time focused on what is God calling us to rather than running from whatever vice or habit or sin we might be wrestling with. God is calling us to so much of a greater level of living to walk powerfully and with authority than all of us even know. So I'm going to call Wadbury up. I think that's kind of it for me. Um, amen.